This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back into this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman. And with the draft in the rearview mirror, it is time to turn our focus to the minor league season and some of the best prospects uh, that have already been you know, in the middle of their professional careers and performing so far. And today we have a very special guest. It is Rangers catching prospect Sam Huff. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, so, Sam, you are one of these uh, prospects that have been having uh, one heck of a minor league season so far, already 20 homers here in the middle of June. Uh, and I wanted to just start uh, with a very basic, what is the, if you could identify one thing that has changed between this year and last year, what would it be for you? Probably, I, I really, uh, the past off season, I really tried to try to think about what I need to do different or how I could have gotten better. And it was just kind of just understanding myself as a player, keeping it relaxed, not trying to push myself in situations, just understanding like, what do I need to do to get better every day? Understanding me as a hitter, as a player, how can I overall improve down the line? Sam, Jim Callis here. You know, I, I know from looking at your career coming into this year, there were years where you hit for average. You know, I think your first year in pro ball, you, you hit, you know, over 300 pretty comfortably. And then there have been years where you've hit for power, not for average. And this year you've really done both. Have you changed your approach at all? Or is there any mechanical changes that, that have allowed you to, to kind of, you know, have the best of both worlds this year? Yeah, it was, it was, we talked to, I talked to Sway, Jared and Chase, all the guys with the Rangers and we want to really simplify myself as a hitter. And when I go up there, if the more you think, I feel like it, the more difficult it is because it's already hard enough to hit a baseball. You're not going to do both at the same time. So I felt like me as a player and talking to everybody to, as a player with my mechanics, shorten it, make sure it's, it's a one, two process, like in my mind to keep it as simple as possible. Cause I felt like last year I was the reason why I felt so, I and I didn't feel like I hit that good with average. I felt like I was thinking too much about my swing. It was me trying to be too perfect instead of understanding myself of how to be simple and just hit the ball hard. Sam, it's uh, it's Jonathan Mayo, and, and one of the things you know, again, looking at sort of what you've done so far this year uh, in your career is is proof positive that you need to have a lot of patience. Uh, you know, both as a fan and I would imagine for you also. Can you talk a little bit about? you know, what this process has been like, you know, you ended up having to go to, uh, you know, the Arizona league twice. And then, you know, after up and down 2018, you went back to, to Hickory this year and, uh, and, and, and obviously hit your way out of, uh, out, uh, you know, out of the level. So showing that uh, being able to having to repeat a level can sometimes be a positive thing for your development. Yeah, it was, it was at the start, I felt like it was probably the better decision for me because I, anywhere they put me, I, I, I'm going to perform. I want to, wherever they put me, I'm going to do my best to help the team win and whatever I can do to improve myself. And 
I didn't try and take it to heart. I took it as a, an opportunity to get better. And I, I worked on myself there. I tried to polish myself behind the plate, trying to get better every day, hitting, just knowing what I need to do, not just going up there without a plan, having an idea, like trying to think where I'm trying to hit it, what I'm trying to hit, not just trying to hit anything. Cause I felt like that was a, a thing I wanted to work on a lot and just trying to, as a player improve. Cause I feel like, I feel like players don't understand that we all have to improve somehow. And if we just worry about what we need to do and how we need to do, it, I feel like we're going to, the expectations would be a lot better because it's, it's not, you're not putting pressure on yourself. You feel relaxed and you're getting ready to do what you need to do. Sam, how do you feel like your defense has come along? I know you've, you split the season between catcher and DH, which I think is more a testament to the catching depth in the system rather than any necessarily defensive shortcomings. But, you know, sometimes people will say, you know, a guy who's six foot four like you are, that's kind of pushing the, the envelope and how big you really want a catcher. But yet I've also been told that, you know, based on like the internal framing metrics the Rangers have, that you score very well on those. How do you, how much have you wound up working on your defense and how do you feel like it's coming along? Uh, yeah, I, I work, um, I work a lot on it. I feel it's something that I really want to be good at. And as a player, as a big guy too, six, four, I feel like people not on, they don't really hate. They just don't believe that a lot of big guys can catch. And I feel it, it's been a, it's been a goal for me to try and be the best catcher I can be and receiving. I just, I try and do my best at that. I don't, I don't really look at the metrics. I don't even, I don't even know where I'm at. I just try and do my best with what I'm doing. I, I work with all the coaches every day. I mean, my throwing, receiving, blocking has improved drastically. It's just I try and every day I try and get better each and every day, no matter what. Even if I'm good at that already, I want to be better. Well, throwing-wise, clearly it's working. I think you're right around 50% for your career, 50% this year in throwing up base runners. So that's working. I, I want to follow up on that a little bit in terms of big catchers. There aren't that many uh, you know, to model yourself after. I mean, was Joe Maurer a guy that – you know, I think he's the one that everyone thinks of when they when they think of of big, you know, big catchers who who obviously handled uh, the position defensively really well. Is he a guy that that you kind of watch to to sort of model your game after? Or are there other catchers that you really like to see them behind the plate? I, I've watched. I actually have watched a lot of big catchers when I was growing up. I tried to. I couldn't really copy the the Yachty's or Pudges. The the more not so they're not big but they're just kind of just medium-sized guys and I would watch Matt Weeders, Joe Maurer, Buster Posey, uh, AJ Brzezinski I mean I watched a lot of guys and I just try and take bits and pieces of like how they did their how they did their work on the field and how could I almost kind of like follow or copy it to where it's in my way and it was it, it took a while but I feel like it's been coming along pretty good this year. So, Sam, I want to ask you about the actual experience of hitting as many home runs as you did uh, in the first few weeks of the season. I believe at one point it was like nine and 11 games. What did it feel like when you were on that big of a tear? Have you ever been that hot in your life at the plate? Uh, I have not, actually. That was that was a cool experience, a cool feeling for me. It was a I just I tried to keep it as simple as possible in my mind, not think a lot. I mean, guys would tell me all the time like what I'm doing and stuff, and I would try to, I wouldn't almost try and listen to them. I try and just think about what I'm doing in that moment, trying to take it day by day. It wasn't 
something I was, it wasn't something I was trying to do. It was just something that just happened. And it, it was, it went towards my preparation before games and like what I did in the off season, I felt like it was towards more of that, not so much of in the moment. It was, it was more of a long-term thing, not the short term. Sam, I always like to ask uh, prospects, turn them into scouts for a second. I was just curious from a, a pitching perspective, who is the best pitcher you've caught in the Rangers system? And who is the best pitcher you've faced on another team as a hitter? Best pitcher I've caught. I have I have a couple pitchers I've I've caught that I like a lot. I mean, you got Hans Kraus, you got AJ Alexi, I mean Tyler Phillips, I mean all our all our guys are good pitchers. Joe Palumbo, we got a lot of guys. Um, I feel like the the best stuff would be either AJ or uh, Hans Kraus. They're they're doing pretty good. I like catching them. They they know what they're doing with the ball. I feel like pitchers nowadays they they have the stuff and sometimes they don't know what they want to do with it. And it kind of like backtracks them a little bit, but when they get on it, it's good. And I feel like the best pitcher I've faced probably would be. Uh, D.L. Hall with the Orioles, he was good stuff. I thought it was more of a battle with him than anything. He's got a good slider, good off speeds, good fastball, kind of gets on you a little bit. Not as like usual pitchers, they kind of just, it kind of comes in, you're like, oh, there's a fastball. Like when D.L. throws it, it's like, oh, there's this fastball. Like that's a pretty good pitch. So Sam, you are currently uh, on, on the, the Carolina League All-Star break. And uh, we, of course, appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, but what, when you are not playing baseball and you're not hitting a bunch of home runs, what is what is Sam Huff doing? How are you? How are you spending your time away from the field? Um, usually, I'm just relaxing. Uh, I try to try to get away sometimes if I want to. If not, I I watch TV. I still watch baseball. I can't get away from baseball. I usually watch it a lot. Uh, right now, watching the College World Series. Um, I I play uh, video games with my cousin back in a. Uh, He's in Wisconsin right now, but he's from Arizona. And we play like NHL, just like some stuff to get away from baseball. Just kind of have a, like a mental break and uh, just overall talk to family, just see how everyone's doing. Hey, Sam, quick question. I know you didn't play college baseball, but uh, who are you rooting for in the College World Series, if anybody? That's that's still my favorite co- baseball event anywhere. I, I've um I've been rooting for Michigan right now, so I'm I'm hoping they can uh. Pull, pull through and go all the way, but we'll see. I mean, it's it's a lot of good teams, a lot of good baseball, so it's fun to watch. Yeah, now Michigan's been pretty uh, pretty crazy after barely getting into the tournament. They're one win away for playing the, from the title, so Absolutely. easy to root for the Wolverines. I agree. Yeah, good underdog story. Yes, yes sir. Indeed. Uh, all right. Well, Sam, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your All Star break. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun watching you play this season, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thanks Sam. Sam. Thank you again to Rangers catching prospect Sam Huff for joining the show. That was a wonderful conversation and looking forward to seeing what he does for the rest of the 2019 season. All right, guys. Uh, so it is a very special day, a special week here uh, on uh, the Pipeline podcast uh, and for the MLB Pipeline team because, as many people love to ask about, the top 100 has officially been reorganized, updated. We've had a lot of graduations, especially in the top half. And so if you, you go check out the, the, the new top 100, on LB Pipeline, you will see some new names, some names in some different spots, some risers, some fallers, and we're just gonna kind of kind of bounce around this new list here. Uh, and and Jonathan, I'll start with you. Uh, we take a look at at, at the very top of the list, and uh, at at the t- the new king, the new top prospect in baseball, Wander Franco. 
Um, he didn't technically move up. He just kind of scooted up with all the graduations. But at this time, do you feel pretty good about Wander Franco's number one? Oh, I think even if we were to, you know, completely, you know, re-rank uh, everything, and we will be doing that uh, closer to the end of July, he, he would be the the number one prospect. I mean, he, he was the heir apparent. Uh, so it kind of, I think it just, you know, one of those better be lucky than good kind of things where it just, it worked out that he has ascended to that top spot. It's where he should be given the fact that, you know, our, our good friends, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Eloy Jimenez and, and Fernando Tatis Jr. And, and even Victor Robles all have graduated. So he has just moved up uh, and and it's not, uh, it's because of that, but it also is deserved. So he, he is exactly where I think we, we believe he should be at this point. And you have to, we have to call him, remember, uh, this is my mission in life. Oh, that's true. His nickname should be Vladimir Guerrero III because he's on the Vlad Jr. path and he's putting up bigger numbers. So Here's what I'll, here's what I'll say about that, Jim. I, I do love the, the nickname, but we spent so much time talking about Vlad, and now we're going to keep talking about Vlad by giving him this nickname? Well, I mean, you know, we're trying to separate him from the other Wander Francos, his brothers, you know, since there's two of them in the giant system. So I'm just trying to help him out. Would you rather, you know, think of the, the two kind of org players mm. in the giant system, or would you rather think about a Hall of Famer and his future Hall of Fame son? Fair point. So fair point. I'm just trying to help Wander out a little bit. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so, Jim, uh, we look at the rest of the uh, the, the new, the new kind of top ten. Uh, we got a few pitchers in there, Casey Mize, Mackenzie Gore. We know how much you love Mackenzie Gore. Forrest Whitley uh, dropping a little bit, but he's still uh, up there at the top. Is there anyone else that you that you have uh, in, in the top 10 or 15 uh, that you are maybe surprised by uh, that, that is, is, has jumped into this range? I don't know if it surprises, but I think the three biggest moves within the top 15 – we're one, we moved Joe Adele and Luis Robert, who were in the 10 to 15 range previously, up to four and five. Um, you know, they're two, you know, I don't think there's anybody else in the minors who matches their combination of athleticism and tools with hitting performance. Um, so that's why we moved them up. And then, you, you know, I think I've railed most weeks recently about the balls in AAA and how crazy they are. But uh, you know, Jordan Alvarez likes those Major League Baseballs guys because after hitting 23 homers in 56 games in AAA, he's hit four homers in seven games in Major in Major League Baseball with the Astros. And I think his first day he hit what like a 450 foot shot. But the home run he hit the second day, I don't know if you guys saw it. He was fooled by an off speed pitch and he was out on his front foot and he kind of took this off balance swing at an outside pitch and hit it over the right field wall, pulled it for a home run like. I mean, the guy's on fire. I mean, I, yeah. I wonder if he's – I mean, I think he could be in the Astros lineup to stay. He's just that gifted a hitter, um, and he apparently likes these Major League Baseballs a whole lot, whether it's AAA pitchers or Major League pitchers throwing them to him. I do. I want to stick on Jordan Alvarez for a second. As a, as a Jordan, I obviously love Jordan. I, I'm thinking about changing my name, actually. You should. Uh, the Jordan. Um, but, but, I mean, the, the home run you mentioned, Jim, was definitely crazy. He also – hit one opposite field to the train tracks in Houston, which you basically never see. Um, he is, he's already in, in like one, in like a week and a half has done some crazy stuff. We knew he was one of the more gifted hitters in the minor leagues, but does it from, from what you've heard or, or what you've watched, does it seem like he's actually taken another step forward, Jonathan, or is it just, he, you know, he likes the big league balls and also he's just a really good hitter. Who's really hot right now. 
Yeah, listen, I mean, the, the ball could be juiced, but if, uh, or whatever you want to call it, and, and if you're not recognizing pitches, uh, it's not going to matter. I think he has taken a, a step forward in terms of just a natural maturation of his approach at the plate and what he's trying to do. Um, you know, the, the power is legitimate, and if he just lets it come to him, you know, he, he doesn't have to do anything different. That, that's why he sees balls being driven the opposite way. Uh, and, and, and things of that nature. So, I, I mean, it's legit for me. It's why we kept moving up. He is going to graduate soon enough. But I think for the rest of this podcast, not only are you Jordan, but uh, my, my colleague is Yim and I'm Jonathan. I think it's only fair. I think, honestly, he what he has done so far uh, should be making all of all of the Jays turn to wise as soon as Why not? See what I did there? <laughs> why not is correct. Uh, so uh, looking, looking a little farther down, there's another uh, guy who made a big jump and will probably be, be graduating soon is, is Mr. Austin Riley, um, who's, who's shown a similar ridiculous pop both at the minor and major league level. Um, is, is he another guy that, that, that is, has, has made some sort of difference, or is he just recognizing enough pitches to, to maybe not strike out enough and, and get to that power? Jim, what, what have you liked from Austin Riley so far? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a similar – performance to to Jordan Alvarez where I mean there's a guy who is one of the better hitters in the minor leagues and, and he, his game took another step I mean he's not making more contact I mean he's got a 41 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio in the big leagues um, he, he's striking out in like 31 or 32 percent of his plate appearances. So I don't think it's that I just think that I mean we we knew this guy had some of the best power in the minor leagues and it's played I, I don't I don't necessarily think he's doing that much different than he's done in the past. He's just, I mean, the thing to remember about these guys is they're young. You know, Alvarez is 21, Riley's 22. And I think it's just the power's coming out even more this year. But I mean, it's crazy. He's got, I mean, both these guys, I think counting the minors and majors, Austin Riley has 26 homers right now. And Alvarez has 27. Yeah. One of the things with Riley and you know, I do the, do the, the Braves list and Jim has done the, the Astros list, but um is that I think he's always been a better hitter than people gave him credit for. First couple of years, uh, he, he starts slowly and then come on, but he's been impressive for a while in his ability to make adjustments and continue to hit for average, you know, even with uh, high strikeout rates. Usually it comes with, with a better walk rate than, uh, than what he's shown so far in the big I think that's, going to, to, to start to come. But uh, he, if you look from year to year, he always makes adjustments and, and hits. He's not just a, an all or nothing or even just like a three true outcome kind of guy. There's more in there than I think people, uh, people thought, you know, even going back to when he was drafted and you know, there were a lot of teams who preferred him on the mound um, and the Braves wanted to let him hit. And obviously that was a good decision. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that's going to continue to happen. I'm sure the National League uh, major league pitchers will will adjust and try to take advantage of his aggressiveness at the plate. And I think that he, you know, even if he struggles, he's going to make adjustments and continue to hit. Uh, I want to ask about two other uh, first round picks from last year's draft. Uh, Alec Bohm, who was of course third overall to the Phillies, he uh, made a considerable jump uh, in the update. And Grayson Rodriguez, uh, high school right-hander who the Orioles selected last year out of Texas, has been having quite a first full professional season. Um, Jim, I guess we'll start with you. You can you can pick either of them. 
Uh, this is about as good as you could hope for, for these franchises who, who drafted them just a year ago. Uh, do either of them maybe surprise you more than the other, or, or are they doing what you expected uh, when, they, when they were drafted, I guess? Yeah, I'd say Grayson Rodriguez probably surprises me a little bit more than, than Alec Baum. And he made the biggest jump, I believe. I think he's up 36 spots from his original ranking to, to where he is now. And not that, I mean, we didn't know he was talented because we knew he was talented, but he had a little bit less track record than most of the, the high school pitchers who were taken in the first round. And if he had needed more of an adjustment period to pro ball, it wouldn't have surprised me in that regard. And instead he came out on day one and had a spectacular, you know, 2019 debut. And he's got 72 strikeouts and 52 innings when and opponents are hitting 177 off of him in low A and he's throwing strikes and he can show you three plus or better pitches. Um, so yeah, if you're an Orioles fan, you should be delighted. In fact, I believe, Jonathan, and, and you wrote the story that's going with this. You've looked at this a little bit more closely than I have uh, in the last day or so. I believe we jumped him up and made him the Orioles' number one prospect. Did we not um, when we did this? I think he went from four on our list to just ahead of Ryan Mountcastle. Um, so, like, yeah, you know, and he's obviously just kind of holding that seat warm for Adley Rutschman when we do the, the major re-rank. Yes. But um, no, I mean, I, he, he of those two guys, Jordan, Grayson Rodriguez surprises me more. Alec Baum went number three as a guy with an advanced bat, mm-hmm. so you would expect him to hit. But I've, I've been really impressed by Grayson Rodriguez. I think, when, you know, as, as far as Alec Baum is concerned, you know, he, uh, he got dinged up last summer. His pro debut was not very good. Um, you know, I think there's this expectation that those kind of advanced college guys just come out and hit right away, and sometimes they do, and, and he struggled a bit. So I think there was a pause, like, let's just, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, that he is who everyone thinks he's going to be. And uh, he has been, you know, he has been this year. And, you know, even the, the Phillies were a little cautious, I thought, by – starting out by sending him to the, the South Atlantic to, to start the year. He quickly showed that uh, that was not that much of a challenge for him, and he got moved up to the Florida State League, and he has continued to hit there. The, the power hasn't shown up a ton. I'm not too worried about that. Uh, but I think the fact that uh, he does have a bunch of extra base hits, and he's hitting for average, he's drawing a ton of walks, and he's barely striking out. Uh, the, the move, we basically moved him up ahead of – the kind of other top college bats from the from the draft class and and Jonathan India and Nick Madrigal and kind of put him at the at the top of that group, which is where uh, we think he belongs based on what he's done this year. Uh, so obviously we 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 want to stay positive here on the Pipeline Podcast, talk about some of the guys having some great seasons, but with the with the risers come some of the fallers. I'm looking at some of the names um, that that have fallen on the top 100 list. Uh, a couple uh, that also fell off. Uh, the, the top 100 list, but I want to throw out some names, and I, I kind of want to ask from a from a process standpoint. Uh, it looks like a lot of the the guys that have fallen, most of them are pitchers, um, maybe due to injury or due to just you know poor performance. Uh, what what is the what does a pitcher have to do or a player have to do to make you really concerned beyond just statistical struggles, if that makes sense? Like, because not everybody uh, on the top 100 is having a great season. So some of these names, Jonathan Loisago with the Yankees, Justice Sheffield with the Mariners, Brent Honeywell, uh, of course, we got the news that he'll, he's going to be missing another season. Uh, Bukowskis uh, with the Astros moved down a little bit. So, uh, Jim, what does it take to kind of have a guy move back? What, 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 what makes you move a guy down? 
Yeah, and I think your observation that most of the guys who moved down were pitchers is just a testament to how volatile pitchers are. You know, I think more of the hitters have a more steady development path in general, um, and the pitchers are more up and down. I mean, of the guys you mentioned, you know, three of the five pitchers who took the biggest drops, you know, Lois Sega, Honeywell, and Eric Pardino with the Jays, there's there's physical issues involved. You know, Lois Sega you know, has real interesting stuff, but he's only pitched 24 innings this year. He's hurt again. Um, you know, he's got a long track record of, of not holding up. He's, he's like 5'11", 165. He's not a real big physical guy. And, you know, Jonathan will testify this too. When you have a bunch of graduations, guys wind up getting pushed up the list who were on it. So Lois Sega went from like being in, the, I think, the 70s coming into the season all the way up to number 53, which felt really high. You know, Honeywell had a setback and has come back from Tommy John surgery. And Eric Pardino, while it, it's nothing serious that, that requires surgery yet, hasn't pitched all year. So that was adjustment on them. You know, Justice Sheffield was another guy who who was all the way up to number 35, which felt, at least to me personally, very, very high for him. And he's walked almost a guy in inning this year in AAA uh, and really been torched. And, and while I do like Justice Sheffield, I mean, the, the, the pure stuff is really good. He doesn't have a great track record of controlling commanding his stuff. So... This kind of reinforced, and again, I mean, he's dealing with the AAA balls too, um, you know, which partially explains 12 homers and 55 innings. But his performance kind of bothered me, and it got me at least thinking, you know what, this guy's never really commanded his stuff super well. And Bukaskis has just had a kind of an odd development path where he got in a car accident last year that wasn't his fault and led to back issues. So he didn't really pitch a full year, and he, he's been kind of up and down with the, the control. He looked great in the fall league. But, but that's kind of the thinking behind those guys. And I think in general, the pitchers are more volatile moving up and down. And the hitters, you know, unless a guy takes a major step forward or goes into a horrible slump, are, you're a little bit more consistent. With yeah, I, I, would agree with, uh, I would agree with that. And, you know, I think that we try not to knock pitchers too much for one injury. Like if a guy has Tommy John surgery, we won't necessarily, you know, move him way down. I mean, Michael Kopech, you know, as an example, he's actually in the same spot in, in this update. But when you look at, uh, you know, some of these arms, uh, you know, like Honeywell, um, you know, had Tommy John surgery and then he fractured his elbow. So he hasn't thrown a competitive pitch since 2017, and he's not going to throw one until 2020 where he's going to be 25 years old. I think that's when you have to start to say, well, it, it, it can't help but impact where he goes on a, on a ranking or what his perceived value is. Um, Loisaga, I think, is, is similar. His, his continued inability to stay on the mound uh, becomes a, a concern after a while. And Sheffield was a guy who, yeah, the stuff has always been good, but it's not, he's not throwing 103. Whereas, so the, the thought was that he was going to get to a point and it looked like he had taken a step forward in terms of his command. And then he went backwards this year. He's walking more than six per nine. Um, so, you know, again, uh, yes, live balls, uh, you know, can, can hurt and maybe he's trying to do too much as a result. Um, but, uh, you know, that was the guy we, we were watching carefully this year because he looked like he was on the cusp of impacting that Mariners rotation. And, and I think if he had been anything close to the guy we saw last year, uh, he, he would be off this list and in the Mariners rotation already. Uh, I will also mention on Sheffield, um, great point about, you know, maybe 
the AAA ball side of something. He was actually just sent down to AA Arkansas to maybe try and figure some stuff out down there, you know, away at different balls and just, just kind of get, get, get all straightened out down there. So, yeah, it, it's definitely been a difficult year uh, for Justice Sheffield. And I, I, of the, the, the four hitters uh, that, that, we, that we see on here, because you mentioned with pitchers, it's injuries, and it's not as linear as hitters. Um, but, but some of the hitters we have dropping, uh, using El Diaz, Taylor Trammell, uh, Andres Jimenez with the Mets, and Jazz Chisholm. Uh, these are all guys that I know we, we, I think we're all pretty big fans of. Of course, we saw Taylor Trammell be uh, the MVP of the Futures game last year. Uh, if you want to just pick one of those guys, Jim, that, that you've been maybe surprised to see uh, has been struggling so far in 2019. Um, yeah, I, 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 like with Trammell, I don't even think it's so much that he's struggling is just other guys passed him a little bit at the very top of the list. Cause we had him in the top right. 15 and the other guys, I think it's, you know, Diaz has not performed real great, although he's hot right now since the Orioles got him in the Machado trade last year. Um, you know, he's a tough one to figure out. Like I did for guys on the top 100 that I just randomly wind up talking to Scott's scouts about, you know, here and there, like I probably, for whatever reason, get more negative comments on him where I, and you know, maybe part of that simply is that he was part of the Machado trade, but I get an awful lot of like, wow. Like, you know, I, I, I you know, saw this guy play. Can't believe he was, you know, that that was the primary guy they got for Manny Machado. But like I said, he has been, you know, kind of on fire the last five or six days. So maybe we'll be moving him back up. I mean, he's a talented guy, but he just, he just has not performed very well since the Dodgers made that trade. Um, yeah, for me, I think it's Jazz Chisholm, um, who, you know, had power. Uh, it continues to actually show power. He does have 13 homers this year and he is, you know, just 21 years old and in double a, you know, they've moved him fairly aggressively uh, there is a lot of sort of all or nothing to his swing. He is super aggressive. I mean, even last year, we played you know very well across two levels of A ball and hit 25 homers. He did strike out uh, 149 times and walked only 39 and actually didn't hit great in the Midwest League and then caught fire in the California League. I thought that he was ready to make the next league because he really looked the part in the Arizona Fall League. He looked like he belonged. I think he was learning. Um, he is drawing a lot more walks. Uh, so I think that is a good sign, but it hasn't translated overall. I mean, he's striking out like that. I think it was like 34% plus of the time. And that has led to him hitting 173 with a 697 OPS. So that, that is not what we sort of thought we were going to see from him this year. There is plenty of time for him to write the ship, and I think he will. But uh, it was enough in this sort of, you know, tweaking of the list that we're doing uh, to, to knock him down a couple of pegs. Fair, fair enough. Uh, so the last thing we wanted to do here uh, before, before we get you guys out of here is, is kind of discuss some of, some of the guys that you won't see on the list right now, but certainly uh, in, in the next uh, month or so, which is, of course, the guys who were just drafted over the last few months of this podcast. We've spent so much time talking about Adley Rutschman and Bobby Witt Jr., and Andrew Vaughn, in fact, we spent some time talking to Bobby Wood Jr. and Andrew Vaughn. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, how you how you try and fit these guys into the list. Uh, I want to definitely ask about Adley uh, in particular. Um, but how many of the guys that were just drafted uh, in the 2019 draft could we expect to maybe be appearing on the uh, the, the next update uh, edition of the Top 100? Uh, Jim, if you could give a rough estimate. Yeah, I guess you don't have to you know, commit to it now, but but just, just eyeballing it. What do you think? Um, looking at the list, 
you know, it's funny. I think Jonathan had an inbox question. He may have actually looked and see what the rough numbers are. I mean, looking at our list, you know, this was not considered a great draft. I would say at least eight, like our top eight guys from our draft top 200, I think would all be on there. And then I think you can argue whether, you know, guys like Bryson Stott and Shea Langoliers and Alec Manoa may or may not. But I, I'd say the minimum would be eight. And, you know, probably not more than 11 or 12, maybe. So I have the, 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 the last few years, you know, by comparison, we added 10 last year uh, from, from the 2018 draft, 11 from 2017. Back in 2016, there were 13. And that 2015 draft, we added 15. Um, so, I, you know, some of it is, I guess we've become a little more uh, discerning. You know, you have to do more to, to get added to the list. I, I think that we'll probably add less than we did a year ago, uh, which was the 10. The guys that I said, you know, definite were obviously Eileen Rushman, Bobby Witt Jr., Andrew Vaughn, J.J. Blade, C.J. Abrams, Riley Green, and Nick Lodolo. That's the top seven. I could see Hunter Bishop and Shea Langoliers. Um, that... To me, that might be it. Uh, I don't know what you do with a guy like, say, Matt Allen, the top high school arm in the class who went in the third round. My guess is we probably wait to see what he does next year. Um, but I, 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 I'm likely to sort of advocate for erring on the side of caution and not adding too many of these guys. As Jim said, you know, this class was not, you know, crazy deep, um, and and and. The, any other names I think would feel like a, a stretch to me in terms of, of them making it on. One of the flip sides, though, too, is that the other factor in this is how many guys have graduated. And there have been a ton of graduations this year. Um, and I know when we were voting on next top 100 guys up, it feels like that list is starting to get a little thin, Jonathan. Fair so. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I would not be surprised if we took a relatively conservative approach compared to the past initially, but as the summer goes on that we add more draft guys, if we need more guys to add to the list. And it's interesting because I know we were conservative last year and off the top of my head, like, you know, some of the guys we were just talking about, Grayson Rodriguez wasn't on the list at, at the start of this year. And he's moved up. We had a group of three pitchers who weren't on the, the list at the beginning of the year in, in Logan Gilbert and Ryan Rollison and, um, and and Daniel Lynch with the Royals who snuck onto the list like after the, the season began and we just moved them all up about 20 spots. So it could be a repeat of that where we're conservative now and you look up, you know, early next season and we have 15 guys from the draft on the list. I think, um, yeah, no, I think I think that's all extremely realistic. I think you know, sort of another interesting thing to to look at is not just how many will make it on, but where will where will we we put them? Yes, um, yes I think Casey Mize we we put in at number twenty last year, um, and obviously we were probably too conservative, especially looking at what he's done done this year. Uh, looking back when I was doing the inbox question back in that twenty fifteen group when we had so many. Brendan Rodgers and Dansby Swanson were in the top 15. Uh, and that's as high as we've gone with a, a draftee um, over the last few years. Um, I could see Rushman sort of 
making it up into that neck of the woods. And I'm curious that we haven't discussed this at all in terms of really lining it up or figuring it out. But like, I think given Rushman's uh, incredible skill set at the position he plays, I could see him cracking the top 15 during his debut. What do you think? Yeah, I was looking at it and, and we haven't had this discussion. And I do think, you know, again, it was an unusual year where so many guys who were in our top 10 or 15 uh, to start the year have graduated. I, I think he goes in the 10 to 15 range somewhere. I mean, if you wanted to, and and, and I, I, I'm not, and I don't think you are, Jonathan, I'm not of the school to like, oh, the guy has to play to prove himself because we're ranking these guys based on long-term talent. You know, if you wanted to go for total ceiling, I mean, you could definitely argue him, you know, probably even in the top five, but I, I, I bet he goes 10 to 15 for us somewhere in there. But you, you guys feel pretty comfortable that he will, he will jump over Joey Bart as the top catching prospect in baseball. Yeah, no yeah. question. No question. And I, and I like Joey Bart a lot. And I was, I've been pushing to put Joey Bart as our top catcher and he mm-hmm. is now, but um, there's no question. He's a better, I mean, if you're stacking those two guys up together, as much as I like Joey Bart, Rutschman is a better hitter and a better receiver and they have similar power and arm strength. So, yeah, there, there's no question that Rutschman becomes your number one uh, catching prospect. Well, and I'll, I'll throw this to you, Jonathan, and then I'll weigh in after you do because I haven't really thought about it. Where's Bobby Wood Jr. go on this list, who is clearly the number two prospect in this year's draft? Right, and and not that far behind Adley Rutschman. Uh, so – um, I think he, you know, if let, let's say for the sake of our Rushman goes in at around 12 in that 10 to 15 range, I would say that Wit would go in somewhere in the 16 to 20 range. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm looking at our list. Do you like him better than Joey Bart? Like if they were in the same draft, I think I'd take Bobby Wood Jr. Over Joey Bart. I think I would too. Um, yeah. And I love Carter Keyboom and Carter, you know, there's track record versus no track record in pro ball. But I think Bobby Wood Jr. is a better defender and has more power and he runs better. I'd probably take him over Carter Keyboom too. Yeah. I, I think I'd listen. It, it, when, once we do discuss this, if we decide to say, well, let's let's make Bobby Wood Jr. go out and, and show that the tools will, right. will play, um, I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, hopefully he'll sign and we'll have some games under his belt when we actually do that. Not that that's the be-all, end-all, but um, – adds to the mix of things to, to look at. But uh, my, my, my sort of first instinct to answering that is I think I would take Bobby Wood ahead of Carter Keyboom. But if he ends up like one spot or two spots right behind him, uh, yeah, I think that's probably in the, in the right neighborhood. And I don't think there's any question. It's funny because there was a great first baseman draft a few years ago, and we don't have any first baseman in our top 50 or so prospects on this list. And I think only two in our top 100 right now. But I don't think there's any question Andrew Vaughn becomes the best first base prospect in baseball as soon as he signs with the White Sox. Yep. Where do you think he fits on this list? Like, I'm thinking he might fit somewhere around 30. Um, yeah. Just eyeballing I, um, it. I haven't I really can, figured it out. Right. I can tell you that, you know, in, in the inbox, and I was very sort of vague uh, because we haven't uh, really had this conversation, I, I sort of put Vaughn – top 30 um and i said blade and abrams and green top 40 and maybe lodolo top 50 uh and that's as far as i went without even saying like where in you know if lodolo makes the top 50 i think it's probably at the end of the top 50 um 
but that's kind of where I play. So yeah, I could see Vaughn in like the 28 to 30 range. I'm not looking at our 100 right now. So I, I don't even like know where I would slot him in, but that was my, <clears throat> when I was answering the inbox, very non-scientific, hmm, wh- where do I think Andrew Vaughn belongs based on his, his, you know, very, very good uh, offensive toolbox. Well, here, I'll ask you this question. We'll, we'll get Jordan excited here because he, he loves his Mariners prospects. Jared Kelnick or Andrew Vaughn? Ooh, ooh! I didn't even I didn't even prep this one. I, this is all Jim. Wow, they're, they're very two 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 very. Different I know that's why it's an interesting question because they're they're totally different types of guys. Um, I would lean I would lean yeah. Kelnick because of the defensive value and and his ability to run a little bit. So, I, well, then I'll ask you if you if you're if you're going to take Kelnick there, which obviously I appreciate. Uh, a guy that's actually more more similar, uh, and who we just mentioned before, Alec Baum. Where, I, I take Andrew Vaughn over Alec Baum. I take Andrew Vaughn over Alec Baum. Yeah, and I like Alec Baum. I'm not knocking Alec Baum, okay. but that's not even close for me. I mean, I shouldn't say not even close, but I don't have to think about that one. Is what I'm trying to say. All right, all right. Well, there you go. Oh, I, I, that's true. You do. You guys do have Kelnick uh, significantly above uh, Mr. Baum there. But I'm just trying to a more an easier to wrap your brain around. Even even if right. Baum is, is, is six a third, you know, maybe he's you know. Yeah, I'm but you're not skeptical of that. So. Well, yeah. but even if we even if he sticks a third, we're not ranking Alec Baum where he is in the top 100 because of his ability to play third base defensively. Right. That's true. You know, Good point. Um, he's never going to be Nolan Arenado. Um, you know, so he's there because he's going to hit. Um, and if he doesn't hit, he'll move down. I mean, it's as simple as that. So just because he plays the other infield corner, I don't think it makes that much of a difference to me. Well, there you go. And I'm, I know you guys kept mentioning, well, you haven't had this conversation yet. Well, now you have at least the earliest versions of it. Uh, I'm glad we got to do this on the podcast. Uh, this is some, some real, uh, uh, how the sausage is made. Uh, Jim and Jonathan, thank you so much for doing this. Obviously you guys can check out. The, the updated top 100 on MLBpipeline.com. Uh, so for Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm your host, Jordan Schusterman, and we will talk to you guys very soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.